Hello, the creatives and the curious. My name is Pendo, and welcome to 12 Point Font, my novel writing podcast where I answer questions, conduct interviews, give advice, point out resources, gush over my favorite books, writers, and about things, and then just generally babble as I muddle my way through the world of words. Today is episode 46, and we will be covering the sonnet. But first, the idiomatic expression for today comes from Laos. This one's a bit of a long one, and it is... Ten mouths speaking don't rival the eyes. Ten eyes seeing don't rival the hands. So to find out what that means, go ahead, put your Google machine right away. Just stick around until the end of the show, where I will have masterfully crafted for you a writing prompt to go along with that idiom. This is the second episode of our poetry series, and and today we'll be answering the question, what is a sonnet? Fantastic question! To which I might respond... What kind of sonnet? Wait, there's more than one kind. Yes, my good people, there is. In fact, there are six major categories of sonnet. Before we jump into them, let's take a look at a brief history of the sonnet. Whoa, why don't leave? History's fun. And I did say brief, brief history. Okay, so the form sonnet is believed to originate in the 13th century and contrary to popular belief, not England. Though, I suppose you could technically say that England is a product of Rome and blah, blah, blah. So there's this dude, Giacomo de Lentini, who went to poetry private school, basically, and is considered to be the father of the sonnet. Unfortunately, no original Sicilian poetry actually exists, but we do have the Tuscan translations of the originals, if anybody is is super curious about it, because history is fun, I promise. Brief history over. Let's get into the types of sonnets. There's the Italian sonnet, also known as the Petrarchan sonnet, the Spenserian sonnet, the Miltonic sonnet, the Terzarima sonnet, the Kirtle sonnet, and the Shakespearean sonnet. This episode, we're going to be focusing on the Italian slash Petrarchan sonnet and the Shakespearean sonnet. These are the two most common types of sonnets you'll probably encounter. Hopping right in then, the Italian sonnet, which we are going to be referring to as the Petrarchan sonnet for brevity's sake, is made up of 14 lines. A group of eight known as an octet, think octopus, and a group of six lines known as a sestet, think sextet. An octet is separated into two stanzas, that's two groups of four lines. The following sestet is made up of two groups of three lines. Here's where things get interesting. Unlike our good Sir Shakespeare or our friend Sir Spencer, there's no necessity for iambic pentameter. That's the pesky ten syllables per line rule, da 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 iambic pentameter. No need in the Petrarchan sonnet. I mean, you can use them if you want, but lots of poets do different things, like iambic hextameter. Quick jog and breakdown. What is an iamb? What are these meters? Pentameter? Hexameter? Who even is she? An iamb is a unit of meter. Hex, pent, tetra, that contains two syllables. So iambic pentameter is five iambs, or ten syllables. And tetrameter would be four iambs, or eight syllables, a line. Okay, back to the Petrarchan sonnet. So iamb here is fluid. Let's talk about rhyme scheme. The first stanza, the first four lines of the octet, group of eight, have the same rhyme scheme, A, B, B, A, which means that the second stanza matches with A, B, B, A. 
Let's look at the first stanza of Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poem, How Do I Love Thee, Let Me Count the Ways. Here it is. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and the breadth and height. My soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. Ways, height, sight, grace. A, B, B, A. Then we have the sestet. Now, traditionally, there are two different versions of the rhyme scheme here. These six lines can go C, D, E, C, D, E, or C, D, C, D, C, D. Or frankly, if you're going non-traditional, any variation of C, D, and E, though the most common are those C, D, C, or C, D, E patterns. These are a lot of letters, huh? Let me try and bring in another example so we don't get lost in the alphabet. This CDC rhyme scheme is fairly present in Dante, and I hope I'm getting this name right, Alighieri's Sestet. If thou forget to know our lady thus, whom grief o'ercomes we wonder in no wise, for also the same thing befalleth us. Yet if thou watch the movement of her eyes, of her thou shalt be straightway conscious, O weep no more, thou art all wan with sighs. So there's us, wise us, then eyes, conscious, sighs. Right, so now we've got the structure down, we can kind of wander off and create a Petrarchan sonnet of our own, yes? Whoa, 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 slow down. Technically not no, but let me put a hard hold your horses on that. So now we dig into conventions. These are common stylistic, thematic, rhetorical things that most Petrarchan sonnets have in common. The main things here are the functions of the octave, that's the first eight lines, and the sestet, the last six. Generally, the octave's job is to introduce a conflict. This could be a question or a problem or a subject that needs exploring. Then it's the job of the sestet to resolve that conflict. Pendo, what does this mean? Fair enough. Let's look at the poem Nuns Fret Not by William Wordsworth, reviewed by Annie Finch. Thank you, Annie Finch. Okay, in all honesty, I'm just going to read like the first two lines and then the final stanza, really. Nuns fret not at their convent's narrow room, and hermits are contented with their cells. In truth, the prison into which we doom, ourselves no prison is, and hence for me, in sundry moods, t'was past time to be bound within the sonnet's scanty plot of ground. What does this mean? Great question. So that very beginning came from the first two lines, and then that end part came from the sestet. Annie Finch has some ideas about what problem was being solved here. See, the octet talks about people in small spaces who aren't too bothered by their constraints. The first line is nuns fret not at their convent's narrow rooms. Nuns aren't bothered by the dorms, and hermits are pretty chill in their cells, whether or not this is true, because the time he wrote this in, it's, this is fairly contestable. But that's not the point. The point of the poem is that these people aren't bothered by the situation, by their constraints in life, you know? So if we're looking for the conflict, we could say that the question Wordsworth is pondering is... What makes these people who are so restricted also blithe and happy? It's a fair question, and he answers it in that last part I read in the sestet. Which, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to read more as a story once more instead of as a poem. So we've got the question. These people are trapped. Why are they happy? The sestet says, 
In truth, the prison into which we doom ourselves no prison is, and hence for me, in sundry moods, t'was pastime to be bound within the sonnet's scanty plot of ground, which is Wordsworthian, for there's freedom and restriction. Pendo, I don't get how there can be freedom and restriction. Ha ha, fear not! That is an episode coming sometime later this season. But the focus here is on the way the sonnet was constructed, right? There's the question, the problem, and then the answer. So just to go over it again, the Petrarchan sonnet is made up of 14 lines, an octet and a sestet. The octet has the A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A rhyme scheme, and the sestet has some variation of a C, D, E rhyme scheme. We go so far? Cool. Now, actual content. The octet introduces a conflict, a problem, question, artful ponderance, and the sestet resolves it. That's it. That's the Italian, also known as the Petrarchan sonnet. Onwards! The Shakespearean sonnet, popularized by, and you'll never guess this one, Shakespeare. I know, you never saw it coming. These are the ones that you were probably made to read in high school or uni, English 100 levels. Their form is actually one of the more complicated of the many sonnets. It's just that Shakespeare was such a super cool writer that we learn his form of sonnets usually. The Shakespearean sonnet is made up of 14 lines, just like our Petrarchan friend. However, these lines are made up of three quatrains and a couplet at the end. In English, three quatrains means three stanzas with four lines, and a couplet is a stanza made of two lines. Fun. No, really fun. See, each stanza has its own rhyme scheme. Stanza one is A, B, A, B, then stanza two is C, D, C, D, stanza three, E, F, E, F, and of course the couplet is G, G. Good game, right? I have no regrets and make no apologies for my puns. Each line in a Shakespearean poem is done in iambic pentameter. So to break that down once more into layman speak, that I am, if you remember from like five minutes ago, is the syllabic unit of two, da-da. Pentameter is a meter of penta, or five. So five of two is ten, ten syllables in a line. Well, Pendo, why not just say ten syllables in a line then? That is a good and valid question. So you have 14 lines, no, no, here's the thing, the idea of an iamb itself, while meaning technically two syllables, iamb tends to infer that there is a stress emphasis on the second syllable in a verse, so it's da-da, da-da, da-da. Right, so you have 14 lines, three quatrains, and a couplet, all in iambic pentameter, with the rhyme scheme A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, G, G. That is the Shakespearean sonnet. Let's break one down. Here's the final quatrain and a couplet from Shakespeare's Sonnet 104. Ah, yet doth beauty, like a dial hand, steal from this figure and no pace perceived. So your sweet hue, which methinks still doth stand, hath motion and mine eye may be deceived, for fear of which hear this thou age and bred. Ere you were born as beauty's summer dead. So here we can see that A, B, A, B, or in this case E, F, E, F rhyme scheme, hand, perceived, stand, deceived, and that final rhyme scheme, unbred, dead. Then there's that iambic pentameter. Ah, yet doth beauty like a dial hand. That's it. That's your Shakespearean sonnet. Of course, there are other types of sonnet, but hopefully this gives you a good foundation to start exploring on your own. 
And now it is time for the weekly book recommendation. This week, we have The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. It's still January, there is still time to make some New Year's resolution, and The Power of Habit will help you stick to them. This brilliant title was one of my first reads in January, and I am so happy I picked it up. I mean that genuinely. It talks about not just the idea of habit, but the science about habit building, why we do and don't stick to our goals and resolutions, and how to program better habits into your life. It's a great read, and I highly recommend it for all of us procrastinating writers. Alrighty then, that is it. If you want more, come on over and hang out with me on Instagram or Twitter at Pendoland, or check out my website at Pendoland.com. If you are not yet tired of my voice, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are on. Intro and outro for the podcast is Meadows by Ramzoid. Of course, all of this and everything I talked about in the show will be linked in the show notes as well. Also, if you have a second, it would be super cool of you if you could give this a good rating on whatever podcasting platform you are on. If you want to subscribe too, like I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't mind. It just helps a lot with visibility. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. Now for the idiomatic expression of the day. Today's was, 10 mouths speaking don't rival the eyes, 10 eyes seeing don't rival the hands. This one actually has a western equivalent and that would be, a picture is worth a thousand words. This is basically the idea that just talking about something or just writing something down isn't the same as seeing it, and just seeing something isn't the same as experiencing it. So, writing exercise. This week, we're going to challenge that idiom. It's poetry season, y'all, and I want you to write a sonnet. I want you to pick a physical thing. It can be a work of art. It can be an experience you had. It just has to be grounded in the material world. Your focus should be on vivid imagery. You're going to go ahead and bring that thing to life. Do you want to challenge you, mad lad you? Go ahead and write a Petrarchan sonnet. That means you need that conflict and resolution part in there too, but still keeping it grounded in the material world. You are going to do fine. You can do this. This has been 12 Point Font reminding you to stay creative, stay curious, and stay writing. Until next time, that is goodbye. <laughs>